0: and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Well, friends, we continue our Lenten journey, and this year, of course, we're in the A cycle of Lent, and that gives us remarkably powerful readings. Can I urge everybody listening to me? Is take out your um, your missalette, maybe wherever you can find these readings, and and cycle through them because they're some of the best instructions in uh, the Christian spiritual life. So today we have this great privilege of hearing the story of the woman at the well in the Gospel of John, uh, one that repays frequent reading. I, I find it's a bit like, oh, Augustine's Confessions, you know, or Aristotle's Ethics, some classic work that as you get older, you move through life, it opens up in new ways. So can I urge everyone a prayerful reading sometime this week of this wonderful story from the Gospel of John? The story which has stirred hearts and beguiled minds up and down the centuries and all over the world. As I say, one of the very finest presentations of the dynamics of conversion and evangelization anywhere in the Bible. I've told people who are involved in evangelization work, read this story and, and understand its dynamics and you'll know what to do and how this thing happens. Okay. So let's try to unpack it a little bit. Notice first, and it's, there's nothing more important than this, that as the woman seeks, she's already been found. See Here's the difference in biblical spirituality. The woman is a seeker. We all are, you know, we all have got thirsts and hungers to speak now metaphorically, right? So we seek all kinds of things. But the most important point is, that as we seek, we've already been found. She comes to the well, and think of the well here as all the things that we seek to find satisfaction, right? As she comes to the well, Jesus is already there. There's nothing more important in this whole story and in the whole spiritual life than this idea. The primacy of grace, right? It is not you who've chosen me. See, that's the story of, of everyday you know, humanistic spirituality, our quest for God. Okay, okay, I get it. I I understand it. You can see it in all the poetry and religious texts of the world. But that's not what the Bible is interested in primarily. It's not you've chosen me, but I who have chosen you. Here's the principle, everybody. If only we would surrender to the God who is always already looking for us, we'd be in the right space. So when we kind of you know, twist ourselves into pretzels over this whole issue of, oh, how do I find God? How do I seek? That is not the primary question. It's how do I allow myself to be found by the God who's always already looking for me? I might have shared this image with you before, but I got it from uh, a good commentary on St. John of the Cross. And the commentator said, here's a way to sum up St. John of the Cross, our greatest spiritual master. He said, imagine there's this helicopter that's trying to land. The helicopter is God's grace, God's presence. The spiritual life is is not jumping up to the helicopter or building our own helicopter. It's simply clearing the ground to allow the helicopter to land. Okay, that's the primacy of grace. Now, as I mentioned, the well to which she comes is evocative, as St. Augustine said, of concupiscent desire or errant desire. Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? As the country song has it. We try in vain to satisfy the deepest longing of the heart with something less than God. There's the life of sin in a nutshell, right? To try to satisfy the longing for God with something less than God, which can never work. In fact, it'll make us frustrated and addicted. Waking up to this fact can be indispensable in the process of conversion. You know, they say sometimes there's a positive side to it, of like that God breaks in in a very positive, life-affirming way, or it can be the hitting bottom experience. Both of those can be a way the door opens up, right? So the 12-step programs talk about that, when you hit bottom. Well, there's something like that in the spiritual order, too. Now, what does Jesus say? And it's, it's making this point everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst the water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life if you got ears to hear the whole spiritual life is in those words of Jesus you drink from the well of wealth trying to satisfy the deepest hunger of your heart You'll get thirsty again. I know I'm mixing metaphors here, I? <laughs> if you drink from the well, try to satisfy the thirst of your heart, you'll get thirsty again. You drink from the well of power, you'll get thirsty again. You drink from the well of approval, trust me, you'll get thirsty again. You drink from the well of sexual pleasure, you'll get thirsty again. Because all these good things, and they are good things, fade away, wear off, run out right? There it is. The Hunger is is an infinite hunger. It's for an infinite good. And all these finite goods either fade away, wear off, or run out. Okay, let's go on with the spiritual physics. What's the one reality that never runs out? What is the one fountain that never runs dry? Answer, the divine life which is precisely what Jesus offers to the woman at the well. You see how the infinity of God is not just a matter of you know, theological interest. You know, let's speculate about the infinity of God, as Dun Scotus did or Thomas Aquinas. No, no, it has an enormous spiritual significance. Precisely because God is infinite, God never runs out or wears out. Think of the water that Jesus is offering as a symbol of the church in its fullness, its teaching, its preaching, its sacraments, its saints. See, all of that is meant to convey to us the divine life, which never runs out. Therefore, that's the well you drink from. That's the one. Okay, so there's a a basic principle of the spiritual life. Here's a second one. Before the water can really flow into one's life, one has to remove some obstacles, right? So, primacy of grace, absolutely, it's God's action, you know, God's making the offer, go to that well, but think of the you know metaphor of the landing of the helicopter. The ground has to be cleared to allow the helicopter to land, or in this metaphor I'm using, Certain obstacles in us have to be cleared out so that the water can truly flow into us. And so, what do we find next? How beautifully Jesus addresses the moral issues in the woman's life. You know, as everyone points out, uh, the fact that she comes at midday and alone means that she's kind of an outcast. She's a pariah, this woman, because women usually would come together to draw water and at better times of the day, like early morning or or maybe early evening when it was cool. The fact that she's coming at high noon and all alone means she's a pariah. And we find out in the course of the story perhaps why, right, with her five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband, etc. But notice, please, that Jesus did not start with moral correction. Think here of Pope Francis. He didn't start with moral correction. He didn't begin with condemnation. That's a a big mistake I think a lot of evangelizers can make is, all right, my first move is I got to get people's moral lives straightened out. No, no, you do. You do, because that'll prevent the water from flowing. But it's probably not best to begin with that begin rather with this great offer of grace as Jesus does. So, it doesn't start with condemnation, but mind you, mind you, if you're if you're tempted to err on the other side, he's also not indifferent to it. Here's a blunt truth, everybody. For many people, the spiritual life does not really get off the ground. Why? Because certain moral issues are not addressed. You know, now we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Everyone listens to me is a sinner. And so we know what this is about. How come I'm not gaining, you know, in, in grace and momentum in my spiritual life? Is there something in me that's just blocking the flow, you know? What is that? What is that in you? And this is a good blunt Lenten kind of question. What's it in me that's blocking the flow of grace, you know? Well, in her case, it's her somewhat disordered relationship. So when Jesus says hey, go call your husband. And she says, blithely, I have no husband. And normally that would get the guy off her back, you know. But Jesus, of course, who knows the whole situation, says, yeah, you're right in saying I have no husband because you've had five and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. Now, may I say, everybody, that's pretty direct. That's pretty blunt. This is not someone playing an, oh, you know, I'm okay, you're okay game. This is not, oh, I'm indifferent. And notice, please, it's a sexual matter. It's a, it's a matter of sexual morality. Don't listen to people that say, oh, that doesn't really matter. It's, you know, it's our commitment to social justice. Look, I'm all in favor of social justice, as Jesus is. But this is also a serious matter. you know. And he names it pretty bluntly. So again, what's disordered right now in your own moral life What has to be dealt with before the water that Jesus offers can truly flow? Moral clarity is essential for successful evangelization. Let that one please sink in, everybody. So, beguiled, intrigued, attracted, the woman then engages Jesus in a kind of theological conversation. You know, and I find this really fascinating. It's not surprising at this stage of the process, because once the offer has been made, the offer of grace, and once a certain moral clarity has been arrived at, I find people rather naturally take an interest in the things of God. You know, religion is not something that's extraneous to us. In fact, if we're wired for God, then most of us, are, all of us, are naturally interested in God. The trouble is certain blocks are in place. And so once those are out, of course she's interested. And isn't it cool? Her concern is, where do you worship right? So you Jews say Mount Zion, and we Samaritans, she you says, say, say you know, Mount Gerizim. So, you know, which is which? Who's got the right form of worship? And then Jesus' great answer. Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. See, where do you worship? Remember in chapter three, just before this one, what had Jesus done? But he had cleansed the temple. And he had declared that his own body would be the new temple. What he's saying is, right worship happens in me. So don't, don't be fussing about the mountain or Jerusalem. I am the place now of right worship. See, and this is so important in evangelization. It's meant to lead us to the point of right praise, right? So moral clarity, yes, indeed. Drinking from the right well, yes, indeed. Leaving behind our, our concupiscent desire, Yes. But it's all meant to lead us to the place of right praise, which is the very body of Jesus. Now, one last little step. As the story comes to its conclusion, what does she do? But she puts down the bucket, symbolic of the abandonment of her old way of life. All these ways she tried to satisfy her heart with something less than God. She puts that down. Good. So will you. So will you when you let Christ in your life. And then finally... She goes into the village and declares him to everybody. This is always the biblical rhythm. Once you've been evangelized, you want other people to know. What's evangelization? It's one starving person, one beggar, telling another where to find bread. Now, that's exactly what she does at the end of the story. So, do you want a masterclass in evangelization and conversion? Spend some time with this wonderful story of the woman at the well. And God bless you.